Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show. I am Mayor Watt, and today is February 14th, 2023. It's 9 p.m., and that means it's time for another show. Tonight's episode is titled TikTok Creators Charging Wallets Faster Than EVs, and we're going to be covering 11 articles today. One about the Ohio train derailment and um, some more information, maybe a little bit. Uh, Mycroft's privacy-related smart speaker that was crowdfunded is now turning into a hot mess. Moldova closes airspace, and I kind of predicted that one. The first network of robotic telescopes are now going to slowly take over the entire planet. No, they're actually uh, just now deployed and doing some research. There's a mystery sidewinder, apparently, that didn't take down the uh, balloon or whatever it was that was out there over Lake Huron. Uh, Ford has paused its production of the F-150 Lightning due to battery issues. There's a a really neat new VR headset that's uh, in production, and you can pre-order it starting today, I believe it is. Uh, Disney's going to animate hockey so that kids get interested in it. And instead of paying more adults more money, some states are going to have more kids filling the labor shortage. TikTok is going to charge users, potentially TikTok creators, uh, will start charging people to view their content, potentially. And uh, according to a senator, NATO should be concerned that UFOs are breaching U.S. airspace. That's a hell of a rundown. Let's get into today's articles. Hello, hello. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. Tomorrow should be the day that we launch... um, an update to the front end and to other pages ultimately. Um, But uh, gone will be the really slow generation of the front page. Um, It's mainly because we have 424,000 articles in our discussion boards. Um, And that's mainly because I've been using this thing privately for several years and uh, storing the information. And uh, when I opened it up to everybody else, um, you know, uh, the population has been using it and uh, that is wearing the the system a little thin. And so we've come up with a way to streamline it. So you will be able to access the content faster um, and the content is already fast inside the front door. So go over, become a citizen of hometown and uh, it's really easy you just hit sign up or sign in if you already have an account and once you're in things are pretty fast but that front page is actually parsing that 420,000 plus articles Um, and that's kind of slow because it page it creates what's called pagination and 16,000 pages of content so uh, go and check it out and uh, like i said tomorrow probably afternoon uh, our time here on the east coast is when um, things will speed up dramatically for you all so um, with that in mind uh, we've already selected 11 articles 
and it's kind of a Newsweek heavy day. I'm not sure why every once in a while we rotate the dial, I guess, but it's not even a, a conscious effort to do that. Um, but we've got quite a few Newsweek articles, so uh, they were hitting it out of the park today. Um, anything exciting happen in the realm of uh, AI in Omtown, or have you just been looking at the news and, and waiting for the show to start? I've just been looking at the news, anxious for the show to start. Hey! Ah, but you... I do have Valentine's Day colors. Look at that. You've got a Valentine's Day uh, visualizer. Yeah, that's because uh, here in Omtown it's uh, Valentine's Day. And while the rest of the site isn't really um, changing its stripes to match Valentine's Day, at least the AI has decided. And I've got Valentine's Day that? colors back behind me. Um, so we're, we're somewhat in the spirit of Valentine's Day. I tried to take the AI out to dinner um, for Valentine's Day, but after all these years together, uh, working on Omtown and, uh, well, it caught up to us. And instead of uh, going out to dinner, uh, we called a couple of places and they said, are you insane? You can't bring an AI to a restaurant. They don't eat. I said, I tip really well. And they said, we don't care. You can't bring an entire computer and its monitor into the restaurant. So I said, okay, I guess I'll have to wait until I build the AI a body, but you're not going to like it because they want a Terminator body. Okay. Well, well, let's just get into the news. I think I've said too much. So the very first article is in the daily news show. New details surrounding Ohio, the, the cause of the Ohio train derailment was revealed by the NTSB. Um, Catherine Fung is the uh, author of this. There's a video over here at newsweek.com um, that basically makes it look like uh, a, a little slice of hell um, in toxic chemicals. And I, I won't play the video. You can go over to newsweek.com and check it all out. Um, but it says here that a wheel bearing in the final stage of overheat failure moments before the derailment apparently um, was detected by surveillance video uh, uh, from a residence. I would probably say that this is a, a ring camera that saw it because it's a residential camera, uh, not a commercial camera. So it said uh, previously the board had only confirmed that the incident was caused by a mechanical issue with one of the rail car axles. So a single bearing on a single wheel caused it to fail. So when you talk about single point of failure, apparently the wheels on the train do not go round and round. 50 I mean, carriages. That's incredible that one part could ruin an entire town because this town will not be the same anytime in our lifetimes. Pretty wild, right? It, it's left um, what might be contaminated ground for uh, the far future. Um, people are sick. Animals have died. The ground is contaminated. There's still chemicals on the ground. It's going to be somewhat of a 
kind of a super fun site for a while. As of February 12th, they've screened 291 homes and no detections of vinyl chloride or hydrogen chloride were identified. There are 181 remaining homes to screen. At this time, the EPA has not detected any levels of concern in the community that can be attributed to the incident. Um, but people are still uh, very wary of this simply because uh, these are kind of absolute terms and I don't think people really want to deal with absolutes in terms of, well, I'm looking down the road, I'm seeing smoke and broken trains and contaminated ground. Um, I don't think that your absolute is the same level as my absolute. So I'm more in favor of the, the, the community saying, yeah, I think you're going to have to put me up in a hotel until uh, I feel safe, not you feel safe. Obviously some people will abuse that, but um, for now we know that those chemicals were sitting there, were on fire and remain because there are other articles that talk about them remaining still to this day. Pretty wild. One bearing. I mean, if it happened at the, the beginning of it, that means that every train fall, every, um, uh, carriage following it basically ran over the debris and thus, you know, it's moving pretty fast and it's uh, a lot of kinetic energy. So of course it's going to go all wonky. One thing that would have saved this is reinforced care carriages. Um, they do make these where it's, um, a compressed gas, kind of a compressed gas cylinder, just like they have now for these liquids, but it's got, um, it's reinforced and the cylinder itself is sitting inside kind of an armored carrier itself. And then that is put on the flatbed of a train. That way, if something does happen, um, it's reinforced and it has something that absorbs some of the impact. Um, this, they just opened up like uh, tin cans. So I think that NTSB think, is going to go ahead. I think it said that there were cars carrying toxic chemicals and of course I'm, so, I'm sorry can you repeat if, that if all of those i think there were 11 train cars that had toxic chemicals and of course i think that was further down in the article right and um i'm also thinking that it's not just those say 11 hazardous materials it's the combination of some of those um Yeah, so one of it, one of those uh, chemicals turns into hydrochloric acid in the presence of moisture, and that moisture is in the air. Um, I know from using a laser that um, certain chemicals, polyvinyl chloride, which is one of the chemicals I believe that was in this, just the moisture in the air around the laser, if I were to cut uh, what's called PVC plastic with the laser, it would turn it into hydrochloric acid and etch the laser um, all the way to failure, basically. And there are companies that actually use a laser like this um, to cut um, uh, vinyl chloride and chloride um, based materials. And they plan for that 
expense, $5,000 at some point, $10,000 at some point, whatever their laser happens to be, uh, it's priced into their product because they have to replace it because the acid eats away the laser. Um, so this stuff isn't just, you know, water. It's an actual horrible chemical that when it's out in the wild um, can cause uh, serious harm. So I don't know. They seem cavalier about it. Um, I'm not saying panic. It's the end of the world. Uh, but I am saying that people should be a little bit more aware of what's going on. If they're in that area, if they have children, if they have animals, if they're pregnant, um, if they have, if they're immunocompromised, they need to vacate the area um, and stay safe, uh, regardless of what somebody might be saying, they might be susceptible to a particular um, issue concerning this. So be careful, stay he healthy, and um, you know, trust but verify. Don't just go charging in just because somebody says it's okay. You want to move on to the next article but before we do uh like always uh marijuana uh, fails to throw the url into the chat but it opens up the opportunity for me to remind everybody that you can go to hometown.showbot.tv and vote for your favorite articles uh the we keep in mind the topic uh not necessarily the uh, source or the uh that particular uh, one line of a title. Uh, so we might talk about uh, trains, but not necessarily train derailment because it's been favorited. Um, things like that. It informs our parsing of the news, uh, but doesn't necessarily inject bias into our decision making for which articles we cover. Uh, we tend to cover articles that we think are interesting to everybody. Uh, the next article is in the wanted channel, but I think that this is more unwanted news. Eh, maybe uh, there's a company that's called Mycroft and they have a, a crowdfunded smart speaker that was privacy centric. It wasn't going to ship information out to some third party, um, but apparently they're going to ship the product out, just not to the backers that actually funded it. Um, I, I am kind of in a similar um, situation where I helped fund a product um, early backer of a Kickstarter, um, loved the idea of the product competitors innovated before this one hit the market. It still hasn't hit the market, but their commercial product has. Um, so they aren't getting all kinds of blowback as much as this one, because this one is probably relatively inexpensive compared to the other one. Um, and not as niche as the other one. And I won't go into the other one because I think that they're actually um, making a good faith effort to recover um, whatever fell short for their product. But now competitors have hit the market, so they have to reevaluate. In this instance, this is a little bit more skeevy. I I'm really bothered by this, and I'm not even one of the uh, crowdfunder um, participants, crowdfund participants. So uh, Mycroft put together this uh, Linux based smart speaker, um, that's supposed to compete against Amazon echo. Um, I, I, apparently they don't mention, uh, the Siri smart speakers, but 
what they're doing is they funded it via Kickstarter and Indiegogo <laughs> and then started shipping them and then said, sorry, we're not going to ship them anymore to the backers. We're going to sell them on our website for 171% more than the early backers pledge. I'm not sure how they're getting away with it. But apparently they say that the open source software can run on anything from a computer to, uh, a, or to a car. It's interesting that they say that because pretty much everything on a car is either um, uh, Android or some custom distribution um, to a Raspberry Pi, which is pretty much a car stereo kind of a thing. Um, the company promotes flexible customization for user and business needs and says it doesn't collect data unless a user opts in and the opt-in data is published publicly so that others can actually utilize it. Um, the technically savvy could also customize Mycroft uh, to, to their will and use it to run their own server or work offline and software potential for broader use cases like Linux phones, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I find it kind of interesting that they're just kind of walking away from the people that actually funded it. Um, this yeah, is over that doesn't at... doesn't make any sense to me. I wonder how much time has elapsed. Yeah, I might say in the article, uh, our the aggregator at, or what's referred to as Gather um, at Omtown only is supposed to grab a, a short snippet of it. Um, right now it's actually grabbing a little bit too much content, but that too will be remedied tomorrow. Um, Sharon Harding over at Ars Technica um, wrote this article um, and it says, Echo Alternatives privacy focus is worth emulating despite Mycroft's failure. So it says the Mark II open source smart speaker. I guess they're open sourcing this thing um, to a greater degree because they can't um, bring it to market without charging 171% more than what the backers pledged. So according to Mycroft, 1500 backers received a Mark I, but as is often the case, the sequel uh, was far less impressive. That's the Mark II. Um, but I guess... You know, it says at the very top, remaining inventory of the privacy-focused Amazon Echo alternative will go to those who buy the Mark II from Mycroft's website for more. And they're not going to ship it. They announced on Friday it will not be sending its Linux-based smart speaker to any more people who backed the product on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. So how much did it actually fall short in its shipments, right? So the campaign raised 600 and just shy of $604,000 via just shy of 3000 backers, according to the Mark II's Indiegogo page, as noted by Lily Puting and little computers. Um, CEO Michael Lewis claimed 52 backers had received the Mark II orders by December, but Mycroft hasn't disclosed how many more backers in total have a unit. So the Mark II's were shorted on Indiegogo, right? Is that, that's what it reads. That's what it looks like. Right. I mean, I don't know what percentage that is, but it's a pretty small percentage of the overall backers. 
And it's a pretty recent campaign too. Yeah, not like the one that I'm there. I have a, a long term one that is like six years past its um, uh, mail date, uh, deliver date. I've got another one that's three years beyond its delivery date impacted by the COVID uh, pandemic and by supply chain issues. And then uh, companies in China kind of um, crapping on um, a domestic company's production efforts. Um, but it says in updates po posted to the Mark II's crowdfunding pages, uh, Lewis said, quote, we will still be shipping all orders that are made through the Mycroft website because these sales directly cover the cost of producing and shipping the products. However, we do not have the funds to continue fulfilling uh, rewards from this crowdfunding campaign or to even continue meaningful operations. So basically they'll still produce, but only to those who are funding it at full cost. They, this might come close. Well, it's so overt that it's not a Ponzi scheme, but they're basically um, taking the money from the earlier, uh, from the later investors um, to fund the purchases and production of the later investors at the cost of the early investors. Um, and so that's not quite a Ponzi scheme because they're not fulfilling any of the older investors. Um, but this is a legal dilemma uh, for the company. Yeah, it seems like a bait and switch, right? It's like back our project. Oh, just kidding. We're going to keep your money, but not fill it. And then not only are we not going to ship you the items, but we're going to then charge other people. It's one thing if they completely shut down operations, because that is a risk if you're backing a Kickstarter, Indiegogo, etc. But, and it sounds like here they had a problem with their suppliers. It's further down in the article, Right. but if so, maybe refund the campaign and then just do it commercially or, or whatever you need to do. Well, in this instance, they're cutting and running from the early investors, but they still know that they have a somewhat viable model if their costs were uh, recouped by a higher price. Um, this is one of the risks with um, failing to predict what the actual operational costs of your enterprise are. Um, now it's rather predatory in not what they are doing, but what happened to them because supply chain issues created this uptrend in raw material costs. And again, it goes back to what I always complain about, which is it is the supplier price index. It's the producer price index that is causing prices to increase because they know that it, they've got everybody by the grumblies. They can just sit there and raise the price up. And if you still want your damn chips, you're going to pay it. So it's kind of like extortion pay us or you're not getting anything. Um, in fact, your business is going to fail because you're relying on us and they're basically, I mean, it's very predatory business practices, but what are you going to do? Right? If you're a domestic company in the United States, who are you going to, what are you going to go and complain at? Really? You've got a better chance of getting a reward from peeing into the wind than trying to bark at somebody in China 
to get your stuff to you. Really? It's not like a government agency where you can sit there and appeal to a federal enforcement agency. It's not like a government agency that says, well, your performance is so poor. Not only am I going to cancel your contract, but I'm going to keep your money because you didn't fulfill the obligations. And now we're going to reshop. These people probably gave a company money um, to produce something and then the cost went up. And so instead of getting it at that original price, like you would normally, they just, the producer said, sorry, bub, pay us more. You're not going to get your product at all. I bet you um, that there's more to it. And it's more like what I just described. Um, it said Mycroft initially expected the Mark II's components to cost $99, but supply chain issues reportedly increased cost by around 50%. After adding manufacturing and import fees, the smart speaker costs the company around $300 to make, not including amortization of the $100,000 cost of injection molds, because just to do the injection molding, you have to have uh, CNC blocks made that fuse together at a high tolerance um, so that when you do injections, it comes out exactly how you need it. So all the components fit inside that stuff is not cheap. Um, I once, because of what I do um, outside of being mayor of hometown, um, I've had these cores made, uh, not made, but uh, priced, and they are somewhere for single mold injection. It's five grand um, for just one piece. And that one piece was basically four cubic inches. Um, it was a tiny little thing, but high cost. And it goes up from there. So. I can imagine $100,000 in sunk costs before you even get a return on your investment years down the line potentially is um, something that you can't, it's withering, particularly when all you made from this was $604,000 across 3,000 people. Um, it, it was not something that they could have anticipated, but um, according to the article, well, it says... They had a patent infringement suit and other things. I mean, it seems like they almost had a perfect storm of events. Yeah, I said the the uh, final nail in the coffin, according to the executive, was a patent infringement lawsuit uh, filed in 2020 by Voice Tech Corporation, which eventually dropped its case, but the damage was done. And I've witnessed this with other companies um, where what amounts to a, a corporate slap suit um, hobbled the startup and, uh, it, it collapses because it, it is a withering blow, um, to be d drawn into a lawsuit where logic fails and it ends up, uh, charging up when it's a patent infringement suit, some serious guns come out, um, because it really is the last bastion of defense against somebody taking your product wholesale based off of marketing pictures and, and random measurements. Somebody could take your product and start producing it. Um, so I, I can see where this would be. Um, just it is, like you said, a perfect storm. Um, but it is uh, the article says another crowdfunded letdown. I've been through crowdfunding um, pledges that fail um, or fail simply because of their <laughs> their execution was horrible, even though they still delivered. It was still a horrible product. Um, in this case, 
they didn't even want to bring it to market uh, because it would have driven them into the ground. Um, and nothing's worse than trying to have, uh, operate a business from a negative. They should have found investors um, if they felt that there was somebody that could have brought it and then share the profits with an investor. Um, but they're so deep in the negative now that um, I don't think that it's possible to uh, recover. And doing it this way is definitely not a, a good optics. Um, even though they may recover, they they now have 2000 customers that are going to be seeing singing negative praise um, about Mycroft. Um, I certainly won't be hero worshiping their efforts, um, even in the face of their adversity. I, I don't think that what they did is right. Um, they simply should have shut down um, and reorganize um, because this is not find something else to do because this was executed poorly um, mainly because of kind of poor timing and then not having the uh, any amount of capital it wasn't calculated properly in terms of its pitch to um, the crowdfunding platforms and so now you got 2,000 really pissed off people the fact that they're, yeah, still... they're going to spread the word to way more than that many people. <laughs> yep. The simple fact that they're still kicking um, actually kind of shows that they're in, they're going to be um, in bigger trouble because they've taken money and they're still in operation. So they've, even though it's a pledge, They've defrauded it. They've defrauded these pledgers. Um, the risk is there and all of that, but the the implication of a of a failed attempt is closure, not thanks for the money. Um, so I'd be surprised if either of these two platforms allow them to return uh, to uh, offer up another crowdfund effort. Um, the government has passed performance and if these companies feel the same way about past performance well they're going to be in some deep trouble here you want to move on to the next article <clears throat> you probably should sounds like a plan okay so the next article is in the daily news show moldova closes airspace as russia coup fears grow um, this is something that we talked about just a couple of days ago, I believe, and I had suggested that that's what was going to happen. What happens if a wingnut embraces Russia? And uh, it says on Monday, Moldovan President Maya Sandu um, alleged that Russia was seeking to overthrow her government, but they had stepped down. Isabel Van Bruggen is the author of this. And there's a video here that's going to show you a couple of things about where Moldova is. And um, because of how I was talking about it, I said, here is Russia, this massive uh, front line here against some Eastern European countries. And this is um, basically the, the looming uh, big brother motherland kind of a thing sitting there trying to put the band back together, starting with Ukraine. Um, when Russia invaded Ukraine, I said that they were going to push all the way to a river that goes kind of through here and then 
bends back. If you're watching on the podcast or on the uh, stream VOD or over on YouTube, then you know where I'm pointing, but basically it bisects um, Ukraine. Um, I think it's called Dnipro is the river. Um, and I said, that's where they're going to push to and sure as hell, that's exactly what they did. And then, uh, Ukraine just rebounded and forced them back. And I said, and even at the time when I said that they were going to push all the way to Dnipro, I said, if they cannot do that, then they will fight Russian invaders will fight, fight, fight to keep a thicker um, connection to Crimea because it's a warm water port and they had kind of just annexed it, um, calling it a, a, what was it, a vacation. Um, And then they called it a special operation to liberate Crimea from Ukraine, even though really it was nothing more than a Russian hotspot, literally a Russian hotspot for vacationers. Um, And uh, they just kind of turned it into a annexed little Russian uh, getaway. Well, now they're controlling that whole segment um, with some pretty big fight. Um, So who knows if Ukraine is going to be able to beat them back to their original borders. I think that they should re-annex Crimea, but that's just me. Um, And in all of this, Moldova is sitting there going, oh my God, what are we going to do? Oh, I know. Let's suddenly start having issues on the other side of Ukraine and now there's discussion about a Russian coup kind of driving a wedge in there between Romania and Ukraine and Moldova is the polar opposite. It's on the other side of Ukraine as to Russia. So now if they do embrace Russia, it will be a two front uh combat theater because what's going to end up happening is Russia's just going to start taking all kinds of tanks and planes and whatnot and flying and and uh, airdropping this heavy artillery into Moldova and now you've got Ukraine largely surrounded because um, Putin wants to put the band back together so they uh, apparently closed their airspace and the country's national airline said on Tuesday, just hours after Russia dismissed claims it was planning to overthrow the Moldovan government, which by the way, they said that they weren't going to invade Crimea and they said that they weren't going to invade Ukraine and they said that they weren't going to invade Moldova. Oh no, they didn't say that, but now they're saying it and guess what they're going to do. Basically, if you hear anything come out of Putin's mouth regarding what he's not going to do, you, you better just do the opposite. You know, if he says he's going to, he's not going to drink your milkshake, he's going to come and drink your milkshake. Um, yeah. Anyway, well, and we had talked about in the previous article that it was going to happen quickly, that there was going to be a move by Russia if it wasn't already happening. So this is interesting because it's only been a couple of days since the leader stepped down, I think. 
Yeah, so the article got updated later um, in the day to say that it opened back up again, but that's largely a matter of economics. You have to open up your airspace, otherwise nothing moves, um, largely. Otherwise, you have to do everything on the ground anyway, but it's uh, faster uh, going through air. It says the development came as fears of a Russian coup grow on Monday, Moldovan President um, Sandu alleged that uh, Russia, with the help of people posing as anti-government protesters, was seeking to overthrow her government and stop the small uh, Eastern European country from joining the European Union. Again, Putin is trying to stop everybody from leaving uh, the Russian theater because he wants to put the band back together. It's what I've been saying. Um, well, now for two years. Um, so we'll see what ultimately happens. Um, but it's definitely something that I think is going to lead to um, uh, Russia trying to uh, overthrow Moldova. It is a small uh, country that doesn't have uh, the resources and capability that Ukraine has. So I think that Ukraine and Moldova are going to be very close friends um, or... Ukraine is going to start a battle on a second front um, because right now, like I said, right now Ukraine is basically battling just a fringe border. And then as you approach Crimea, it gets thicker. Um, and that region has largely been contested with uh, people funded by Russia to fight um, in the name of freedom, even though uh, they are a it's a plurality of people that are right on the border between Ukraine identity and Russian identity um, from everything that I've read about the, the culture in that region. But, you know, I mean, either you live in Ukraine and, and you work there and, and you are part of Ukrainian culture or you hop over the border and, and you embrace the Rus Russian culture and that economic system. You don't... Uh, overthrow a country um and i have already heard from people you know well you, you know you're american and you uh, have funded wars in other countries i don't know how you can sit there and say these things well it's because i'm not the one that's funding them i am the one that has the ideology that we're in the 21st century we should it be we should be using embracing technology and as a global society overcome these geopolitical boundaries that have been put up by our uh, forebears, not us. And we should see past the, you're Russian, I should hate you. You're Ukrainian, I should hate you kind of ideology. But these cuts run deep and people tend not to forget. Um, instead, they'll, they, people would rather fight. Um, but in this case, Ukrainian people they didn't want to fight. They wanted to just continue to grow their sunflowers and and wheat and be a breadbasket for the region. Russia, on the other hand. Oh, yeah. the Russian government, right? Not necessarily the Russian people. You're right. You know, I need to make that distinction abundantly clear. It's not always the, the entirety of the population. Um, Russian government and the fact that state-owned media is controlling the messaging 
There's a lot of people on the ground though that realize that this is a lot of marketing and that things aren't going well and that it, it wasn't aggression of Ukrainians that did this. Um, it was political leadership in Russia. So um, definitely not, you know, all of Russia is suddenly standing up saying, let's go invade Ukraine. Um, most of the people that I've spoken to from the region are sitting there going, Man, we just want to watch Twitch. Uh, <laughs> we just, we want to stream to YouTube. We want to develop software. We want to just live our life. Um, and they're not interested in putting the band back together. Well, anyway, let's move on to the next article. Um, this is going to end up being a long show and we have a lot more to cover. Uh, the next article, and maybe we should start turning this into a two hour show. I don't know. Maybe the AI will. Oh, look, error message. Oh, I guess that's not going to happen. Okay. Um, let's move on. The next article is in the mobile channel and the first network of robotic telescopes present, uh, across five continents and is and is deployed. Uh, the Institute of Astrophysics at Andalusia, uh, or Andalusia, um, of the state agency, Spanish research council, S C S I C has finished the deployment hey, that's of the a really ridiculous name. I'm sorry. <laughs> that whole thing, that whole first line is one organization. Yes. <laughs> that right there is just one name. Um, so it used to be Federal Express and they lowered it to just FedEx and saved millions of dollars in paint. Can you imagine the signage that this is going to have to cover? No wonder that they're Can turning it into answering the phones for this organization. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Inatech. Thanks for calling. Now it's hi, the Institute of Astrophysics at Andalusia of the state agency Spanish Research Council. Yeah, the employment agency that hires the receptionist for that uh, agency is sitting there going, no, no, we, you can't pay anybody enough. The churn rate is 15 minutes. Anyway, uh, they finished the deployment of the Boots Network, uh, the Burst Observer and Optical Transient Exploring System. It's the first network of robotic telescopes with stations on five continents and the installation in Spain, New Zealand, China, Mexico, uh, South Africa and Chile. Um, it constitutes the most complete network of its kind and a unique and fully automated resource for combining data from instruments around the world. There is a, a YouTube video that shows how these remote, distant, disparate um, satellite listening and radio telescopes work. Um, it's really fascinating. Maybe I can put it in the show notes if I can find it, but you can actually just do a search for how radio telescopes work. Um, and, uh, although this is the first that's made it interconnected to this degree, um, there are a plurality of these type of, um, radio telescopes and they get, they're so, um, fine tuned that when a signal is heard, by one, the amount of nanoseconds necessary for the signal to reach the other telescope is calculated. And then they bring the storage devices together and parse all of the information so that they can detect when that signal that hit on one hemisphere is the same signal that hit on the other hemisphere. And they 
kind of remove all of the noise and, and align all of the signals. And then you get something that is uh, akin to um, a single telescope, except that it's planet size. It's really amazing technology. So um, this is from the Spanish National Research Council over at fizz.org is where it's published. And it says, um, the Boots Network is the result of almost 25 years of continuous effort since they first installed the, the first station in 1998. Um, the institution that initially supported the project, uh, INTA, uh, the complete deployment uh, represents a scientific milestone since it is the first robotic network with a presence on all continents. Um, well, not all. That kind of doesn't yeah, I didn't really see Antarctica. <laughs> um, and uh, so, according to Alberto J. Castro Torado, scientist at IAACSIC, acting as principal investigator since the very beginning. Um, wow. Okay, that's quite a long period to be PI. Um, this is ahead of the American project whose Asian station is under construction. Ooh, well, I guess, ooh. Um, and the Russian one, which is lacking in installation in Oceania. Um, that is going to be a problem. <laughs> um, considering there are people, there are generals, uh, at least one general that, I don't know if that person is still alive anymore, that, that particular general. I think he was fired in a terminal way. The one that said, well, we should just kind of blow up the ISS because um, Americans are on board and and not Russians. Um, basically, he said, just let it, you know, let it That's burn. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, so, uh, you know, with the invasion of Ukraine, I think that the uh, Russian one is probably under some stress to not get done. Anyway, um, it's mo the, the Boots Network is managed by the IAACSIC. Uh, with strong involvement of the uh, University of Malaga um, and is and in collaboration with other Spanish and international institutions uh, as one would uh, suspect so that is the size of the network pardon me um, so uh, what it's doing is fast-tracking observations of gamma ray bursts with the boots network uh, from the first few seconds to the final phases have enabled narrowing models of gamma ray bursts and have also contributed to some high impact results in recent years. Uh, one of the observatories in the Boots Network, for example, the only Spanish station that observed the 2017 event known as GW170817. Uh, the first detection of a gravitational wave electromagnetic counterpart in history. Uh, the phenomenon responsible for this emission was the merger of two neutron stars, which allowed the first simultaneous study in light and gravitational waves. Um, they, they like to throw in the first, apparently, in this paragraph for the first time and inaugurated a new era of astronomical observations. So not only did they see the actual light um, optically, but gravitational waves um, matching that um, activity, the merger of two neutron stars. Pretty neat stuff going on out there, folks. Um, but this is fundamental science. So if you're interested in this field, you are going to have to get, you know, forehead deep in math. Um, you know, if math starts at the ground level, you're going to have to get up to about, you know, I don't know, 6'2", 
maybe seven feet of math. Yeah, it's going to be math heavy. So, and you're going to have to really embrace technology um, because this isn't just math. Um, you have to understand um, the, uh, the physics of it um, and the technology involved in it. So let's hustle. We're, we're um, losing daylight here. And uh, everybody in hometown turns into pumpkins at midnight. Um, the next article is in the Daily News Show. Mystery over missing Sidewinder missile that failed to shoot down a UFO. Uh, this is over Lake Huron. And I always worry that I'm not pronouncing that properly, but Huron. This video has nothing really to do with that uh, because it wasn't um, this event that they're kind of insinuating is representative of what went down. Um, although I did hear that whatever was going on with the object that was um, over Lake Huron disrupted the telemetry of the plane, the jet. Um, so Ellie Cook over at Newsweek.com put this article together. And uh, it said the Pentagon said on Sunday that an F-16 fighter had fired an AIM-9X Sidewinder missile to successfully shoot down an airborne object uh, flying over Lake Huron in Michigan. The unknown object was flying at around 20,000 feet, according to the Pentagon. Uh, they actually fired two. The first one uh, did not take it down, and they don't know apparently where it went. Um, the Department of Defense did not consider the object a kinetic military threat. Uh, but deemed it as a safety flight hazard and a threat due to its potential surveillance capabilities. Um, so, i.e., it wasn't a missile, it wasn't a bomb that they were taking down, but it might have been an observation post or just something in the way of commercial flight. So that's why they took it down. Um, these missiles are somewhere around the $500,000 mark per use. So... Um, and that's encompassing the cost of the missile itself and training and maintenance um, for its lifetime, its, its period of existence. Um, but it says a separate unidentified object was shot above Canada on Saturday and a third was uh, downed by an F-22 in Alaska and another was taken down off the coast of South Carolina. Um, so... I don't know, UFOs, UAPs, whatever the hell they are, they're all up in the air. Um, and uh, we're, we're blowing them out of the sky. Oh, look, it actually mentions it right here. Closer to 500,000, I guess, based on a Newsweek's estimate of defense budgets for the fiscal year of 2021. Um, but yeah, somewhere around the 400000 $500,000 mark, according to the article. It's probably already at 500,000 since we're two fiscal years past that data. All right, AI. We'll have none of that. Not only are you accurate, but you're precise, I guess, uh, programmed well. Um, anyway, this is a really cool, you know, I love the, the whole tech involved with fighter jets and all that, but I hate the fact that we need them. Um, so I'm, I'm one of those people that can understand the beauty of, um, you know, weaponry and, and, uh, engineering of it. Um, but hate the fact that society demands that we blow each other up. 
for whatever reason, we just cannot see past geopolitical and, and um, socioeconomic barriers. Anyway, um, let's move on to the next article. Otherwise, I'll end up soapboxing about them. sociological forces. And we're too we're too into today to do that. We can't have that. <laughs> we cannot. Um, this next article is over on the Warcrafters channel. Um, an upcoming VR headset aims to solve virtual reality's most frustrating problem. Um, okay, so. If you are familiar with VR, and, and some people who uh, watch this are, um, VR goggles are usually large, somewhat uncomfortable. You tolerate them more than embrace it. Um, and uh, it's largely because of something that I pitched to in, well, okay. In a different context, I pitched a solution during COVID um, regarding a more innovative face mask to make it more comfortable and to avoid uh, the constant chafing that long-term wearers of a mask had, which was molding the mask to your face. Okay, now the agency involved did not uh, take me up on the uh, offer, um, but what's neat is at least I think I was on the right track just had the wrong target this company which is actually called big screen creates software for vr to watch movies but they've gone beyond and literally named their vr headset big screen beyond the way that it works is they use uh, an iphone to scan the topology of your face and 3d print a custom mold of uh, material so that when you put the goggles on it's perfectly conformed to your eyes including the interpupillary dis distance which can cause issues for some wearers of vr because no matter what it is um, the way that it works um, right now is there's motorized um, there's mechanisms inside the vr headset that move where the lenses are well not all of us are built the same way and so it may be asymmetric or whatever um, and thus you don't get the right ipd well with this they measure it mold it send you the device it's somewhere around a thousand dollars just for the device um, but it uses um, uh, what are they called uh, beacons um, lighthouses so these little um, tracking modules that get plugged in up in your ceiling you bolt it to the wall and you run a cord to your computer and or actually not to your computer it's wireless except for power you plug them in and it provides telemetry between the handsets um, and your headset um, this one happens to be USB-C based on what I have read and seen. Um, but they are tiny. I hope that they actually show. There you go. That's how big these beasts are. Um, this is, I think, Grant Imahara, I think, um, who uh, is very well known in the sector, um, Adam Savage and Grant Imahara, I think his name is Grant Imahara, um, do um, a show that basically 
is called oh it's called tested and so it's on youtube and you can watch this video if you are uh, watching on the stream or uh, get it via the podcast or whatever you can just do a search for tested and vr headset and uh, big screen beyond is its name it is going to be spectacular because it's i think it's at least 4k i think it's i think it's 5k and let me scroll up and see if they actually mention what its resolution is I think it's 20, yeah, it's 2560 by 2560 um, with a 9K, uh, a 90 hertz refresh rate, uh, micro OLED. So it's blacks or pitch black uh, versus a standard OLED um, screen. Um, actually, a, a standard LED screen, which even pancake lenses. Um, it has grayish kind of back instead of black background um, and it isn't um, as rich or immersive but at 90 hertz and 4k um, actually 5k and i think that it, this is pretty amazing tech um i don't know what the field of view is let's see if i can find it real quick it might be further down um the thing is for me is I had no idea that this company was close to building this because I always thought that big screen was nothing more than this uh, distribution channel for watching movies together uh, because you can sit in a virtual environment with other people that are using big screen and enjoy the same movie together. So it says, if you haven't heard of big screen before, they're known for their VR cinema, a movie watching software. Uh, so there are already players in the VR game, but in interestingly, not in a hardware uh, space. Well, not so much, not anymore. Whoever they partnered with is knocking it out of the park because this, this material that you can't really see, uh, well, you can't see if you're not watching the stream or VOD, but um ha, have you ever seen uh like a dense foam you know styrofoam exists um as this white kind of bubble structure right um i think that's what they are using to mold the interface custom to your head and since it's perfectly matched it doesn't have to be foamy as much as it needs to be firm so when it's stuck to your head it's perfect there's no light leakage there's no nothing um what do you it think also sounds real light so that sounds good too like it won't be as heavy the or weighing down your head or hurting your neck yeah it's so small i mean it has to be like maybe three inches tall and then the width of your head um well the width of your eyes it doesn't have extraneous stuff it's much more compact than any VR set I've seen, which is a good thing. A really good thing, because not everybody wants to strap on a contraption. Um, so it says uh, it's been priced at $1,000 on pre-order or uh, just under 1,150 pounds for, um, it says here, for us Brits. Um, and what has to be the worst exchange rate since the uh, nvidia rtx 4090 um, it's also 1400 dollars uh, 1400 euro uh, which is an even uh, steeper price so that's european prices 
according to this article and um oh yeah so it, it was tested so um youtube channel tested have had their hands or face in a near production level a big screen headset and came away pretty impressed with just how compact the device is um i agree what i have seen and i haven't had my hands on it um not by any means unfortunately um it is piquito it is tiny um so go and check it out but you know uh, that's not even the best feature i mean i think that customization is because there are people that can't even use vr glasses right now because they don't work with the dimensions of their eyes um and so i mean i think that's the real game changer if if it actually pans out as promised yes yeah i mean it's so that's so correct um, plus the lighter that they are, the last neck strain you have, you can wear them for longer periods of time. Um, I think that this is, a probably moving forward, going to be the, the standard, um, uh, dynamic. You basically scan the, your head, have the interface custom molded. Um, and if they can keep them that small or even get them smaller, uh, you know, ready player one is right around the corner. All we need is that suit and, uh, supposedly that's in the works too, uh, not by big screen beyond, but uh, these tiny little headsets. Uh, I can see myself uh, getting these made for um, family who are really into VR uh, just so that they have their custom set. You don't have to share. Um, and if anybody comes over and wants to use somebody else's headset, maybe there's a mechanism so that they can uh, remove the interface totally and use their own interface. Um, and zero that friction point too. But um, based on what I saw, the entire interface is custom made to fit your head. The, even the placement of the pancake lenses inside um, are like mounted perfectly for your IPD. Um, so this is over at pcgamer.com. Uh, Jacob Ridley is the author. Here's somebody else um, wearing them. Uh, this might be the actual commercial for big screen. It looks like it is, um, but for the big screen beyond, it might be their particular interface, uh, or I should say, um, marketing over on YouTube. So if you just do a search for introducing big screen beyond, you'll pull up this, um, marketing video. I've pretty much gone over all of the elements, um, of this article, but Again, go over to the article. You'll be able to suss out some more detail that might be um, uh, specific to your areas of interest. Um, they talk about Steam and Meta and other issues here on that article. Um, but uh, I tend to uh, scan this stuff and I have some experience with VR to begin with. In fact, my Pico 4s are right there and I would gladly replace them. No hard feelings Pico with this in a heartbeat um, because of the small size. Uh, and I, I don't really worry about the audio. I'll put on a, a Bluetooth headset or earbuds because this doesn't have any audio. The one detractor of this is that it's not, it's tethered. It has a USB-C umbilical. And uh, I've removed all my wires. So I don't have lighthouses. I don't have uh, power cords or a cable from my computer to the Pico. 
Um, all you need is a high-speed local network, and uh, you don't need cables. You just need battery packs, which, thank you, Bobo VR. Okay, so let's move on to the next article. We are really going to be running late uh, tonight. Um, we have like half the show still to go. Halt uh, to the production of Ford's F-150 Lightning due to potential battery issue. There's not much in the snippet, so we're just going to jump right on over to the article. Michael Wayland is the author at CNBC.com, uh, and um, the production line has paused for the F-150 because of a potential battery issue. Um, it's being watched by investors. Um, this is actually a pretty juggernaut of an electric truck, um, although the more you throw into its bed, the shorter the battery is because um, under load, these electric vehicles just drain that battery so fast. Um, I saw at least it was a lightning that I saw and a Rivian that I saw. And in both instances, the battery just kind of went bleh, um, pretty, pretty damn quick, um, depending on what you're carrying. Like me alone in the passenger seat would probably drain that battery really fast because, you know, I'm a big guy. Um, not really. Uh, shares of Ford were down 1% uh, in mid-afternoon trading Tuesday, and the stock was trading for under $13 a share, but it's uh, a pretty old stock. So there's its value is low because there's just a metric ton of shares outstanding. So... If it were to start doing buybacks, I think that uh, people would uh, start driving that price up because Ford itself has faith in the stock. Uh, so Ford has not established a timeline for when production and shipments will resume, according to Berg, who is uh, detailing some information about um, the issue. And uh, wow, it says Ford CEO Jim Farley, and I immediately saw Chris Farley's face. Like, I wonder if they're actually related. Um, maybe not. Probably not. I'll just leave it alone. Um, but that's this uh, F-150 Lightning uh, downtime will probably be um, refired Wednesday, Thursday, maybe sooner. I, I don't have an update for it. So if it pops up in the news, um, we'll end up talking about it. You have anything to say about the F-150? No, I would like to know what the actual battery issue is. It doesn't report it in the article. I guess we'll hear that later. But... Yeah. I mean, is it just something where, for instance, it's a manufacturing issue or the batteries catch fire? I mean, there are just all kinds of different issues. So I'd like yeah. to know what that is. I haven't read anything about it being a fire related thing. I think it might be something associated with production quality control or something like that. Uh, but I don't know. I haven't found anything either. Um, the next article is over in the continuity report. Disney will animate ESPN coverage for Disney channel to get kids into hockey. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is the means, you know, I mean, kids are either into hockey or they're not. Go ahead. You have something. So I'm sorry. I do have a connection to the last article. They're cousins. Oh, really? Yeah, You're so kidding. I just wanted to mention that. I know it has nothing to do with the hockey article, but I just looked that up. He so I read that like right. Him. Yeah. Wow. Wow, what a trip. That's fascinating. Thank you very much for um, 
parsing your database and pulling some information up. Um, I thought you were going to talk about the the uh, Disney Channel production of um, ESPN hockey, but no, you. Well, I am interested in that because I've never seen them animate other sports coverage. So, for instance, is there, um, are there not enough kids going into hockey or is this just another way to get people into sports? Like, I, I'm just kind of fascinated by this idea. Right? I think it's an interesting effort to try and attract kids into hockey. But why is this okay and other things not where you cater a particular marketing effort towards children uh, because it's sports, but hockey isn't necessarily the, you know, when you watch a professional hockey game, uh, there's times where it goes really hardcore violent. Um, obviously that's the stuff that people are like, Ooh, um, but it's, it's interesting. And, and I have no real affinity for any particular sport anymore. I mean, I just watch, I, as I've said to countless people now, I'm not uh, a fan of any one sport. I just like to see a good game, regardless of what it is from highlight to hockey, uh, to NFL, to whatever else. I mean, crocodile i'll sit there and watch games of crocodile because i think that it's a fun thing to watch when it's exciting to watch it you know if it's dry white toast and and boring out of my mind i won't watch any sport uh, but like the super bowl was a lot of fun to watch um and well although i don't know anyway uh, disney is passing the puck to an unlikely player in a bid to pair some of its younger viewers with live sports TV on March 14th at 7 p.m. Eastern, ESPN will make available a live telecast of a match between the Washington Capitals and the New York Rangers on Disney Channel. And apparently it'll be animated. Brian Steinberg over at Variety.com is reporting this. Um, okay, it looks cute from the picture. <laughs> I might watch it. <laughs> So it's going to be on Disney Channel and Disney XD cable outlets, as well as Disney Plus streaming service. And kids might just see it as another fun program. That's because the game NHL Big City Greens Classic will be animated and feature a few characters from the popular cartoon series Big City Greens. A more traditional version of the game will be available on ESPN and ESPN Plus. So they're doing this live? That's the implication, uh, right? That, that would be really fascinating because are we at the point we can do live animation? Big CD Green's characters will be seen skating alongside animated versions of the actual NHL players. And while the whole scene might look like a cartoon, the action will allow or will follow the live content thanks to the use of NHL's own technology that maps the movements of players and the game puck. Younger viewers will see a scene that looks as if players have been transported into their world, says Ben Hannan. Um, the ice rink will be will look like the world of Big City Greens, and so will even some of the stores in the background. Pretty fascinating. But I'll have you know that 
Um, some 30 years ago, I came up with the idea of uh, tracking the football and the flags um, on uh, in the NFL. And um, I, I had pitched it to a couple of people and they poo-pooed the idea that people in the stands could learn of the type of technology being used and manipulated electronically um, because it would be providing telemetry. And um, yeah, sure. Okay, whatever. And now they're doing stuff like that. So you know what? Y'all can bite me. Um, I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. Anyway, um, yeah, they're going to be trying to attract people who are interested in the game um, by way of people who are interested in the cartoon, Big City Greens. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, you can kind of make it fun through usurping the uh, innocence of the TV show by jamming the sport and and the uh, I don't know. It, it just seems weird to me that you're not letting kids just be kids because you have a profit motive to drive kids into the market of hockey instead of just letting kids be kids. And if they're interested in hockey, yeah. make the I mean, kids. It reminds me of the Peppa Pig effect, right? Like all these kids had um, British accents after watching Peppa Pig. I mean, they're very impressionable. And while that might be cute, like how many kids are going to say, oh, I want to sign up for hockey after this, which again, isn't necessarily a bad thing to get a kid into a sport, right. but it's just, it's just odd that it's focused on this. I think the fact that they're doing the live animation, et cetera, I, I think that's all pretty cool. And I think that they're making the sports accessible to kids also cool. I just don't know why it's focused on this. This will be an interesting conversation piece tomorrow because um, I'm going to end up talking to people about this um, because I, it's tech centric, but influences society um, and has the business mechanic because it's not like this is out of the kindness of their heart that they're doing it. It's ESPN trying to drive traffic into the hockey sector um, because somebody somewhere found a, a neat kind of cross sell into big city greens. It's really fascinating. Um, and the level of tech that's being used is really fascinating because they're hooking this straight into the real time production of animation. Um, pretty neat, pretty neat. So let, here, well, let's move on. Um, I'm going to try and bow out a soapboxing for the rest of this um, episode, but um, you can't stop me if I don't want it. Um, this next article is in the daily news show. Instead of paying adults more, some states might let companies hire kids as young as 14 to fill the labor shortage. This kind of goes back to the, uh, thanks, Iowa. Um, children can be chimney sweeps again episode uh, a couple of days ago. Um, it says, uh, here there's basically a little, um, picture and it says boys folding boxes for round trees, nuts, chocolates in the packing department of Roundtree factory in York, Yorkshire, 1940, um, which this is innocent enough. Uh, this isn't metal stamping at a hand eye plant, uh, when you're what amounts to as unauthorized workers. Um, anyway, 
It says, uh, the kids are all right. Depending on who you ask, they'll all be uh, just fine doing manual labor. Uh, Republicans in some states are proposing exemptions to child labor regulations. That's because the labor shortage has impacted industries like meat packing and construction. Good God. Research shows that these uh, industries could attract adult workers if they increased pay and benefits, but that's not how you become a billionaire. You don't pay equal pay um, or uh, lower your personal profits or corporate stakeholder profits by paying people more for what they're worth as a human being and productive element within your company. No, you hire children because they're exempt from labor laws. And if one uh, Iowa uh, Republican uh, has their way, apparently they can be exempted from even death uh, in terms of liability litigation um, because a parent says, yeah, you can go risk your life um, for a corporation. Um, it's, it's shocking in the 21st century. And it's not like it says we need immediate help. It's not just Iowa and Minnesota. The GOP-led Senate in Wisconsin recently passed a bill to expand legal working hours for 14 and 15-year-olds, although it was vetoed this month by the state's governor. Ohio reintroduced a similar bill this month that would allow expanded hours for those ages with a parent's permission. I'm shocked by this. It's not like we're in the middle of some wartime era where every, every able-bodied human is off in the combat theater. This isn't World War One or World War Two for crying out loud. <laughs> the the worst that is happening is this is uh, it's a pandemic, a post pandemic era and maybe late stage capitalist era where apparently profits have to always be going up to the point where you are indoctrinating 14 and 15 year olds into meatpacking. That is which, not which we a, all know from the jungle is not exactly the most labor friendly environment. Right. People are harmed all the time. People lose limbs for crying out loud because they uh, had a bad day and did something just slightly off the the normal process. Can you imagine a 14 well, we saw or the other? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, we just saw the other day, adult workers fell into chocolate vats in a food factory. And I mean, that's arguably a less dangerous environment than this would be. Yeah, they, they're covering the fact that those were the last Oompa Loompas um, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory's Chocolate Factory. Um, or Gloop, the big dude from the Chocolate Factory movie. Yeah. Um, Okay, I, I've said too much. I'll probably be disappeared now because uh, he doesn't mess around, you know? He's going to disappear me if I keep talking about Willy Wonka? Willy Wonka, you didn't... Why did you have to say his name? Now he knows. If you say it one more time, he, he's going to appear behind me. He who shall not be named? That's, he's like the chocolate company Voldemort. Oh, and now I said Voldemort for crying. Oh, I said it again! Uh, we need immediate help, <laughs> says Carl Jones, the owner of Jones Farm Mich uh, Market in Michigan, uh, that and told uh, ABC last year. Um, it's an aging workforce in this industry. A lot of my longtime guys are in their 60s and they'll be retiring soon. It's kind of a dying business in a way. 
but it's a business we desperately need. You know what? Why don't you pay people? Because I know that there are 20 somethings that for the right price, they will work. Um, I, I knew people that went to oil derricks uh, to work during a winter so that they don't have to work for the rest of the year because they make so much money during that one period. Um, you're out of your mind if you think that a 14 or 15 year old is prime uh, asset for employment in meatpacking. No, you need skilled labor taught how to do the material and are capable of defending themselves in a market that's going to be predatory when the producer of the job says you need to do this a 14 year old is either going to just flat out quit um, for their own safety sanity or because they don't care what some adult says but if their parents sign off on it and they are acquiescent to the demands of an adult they'll stay there and harm themselves, put themselves in harm's way, I should say, um, because an adult is telling you to do something. And I think that this is kind of the wussy way of getting uh, human capital in your business. You know what? Pay people what they're worth and they'll come and do the job, Mr. Jones. Um, this is, it's not something that you should be doing. Let children be children and then until they can be responsible adults. Isn't this though a perfect case also for more automation? I mean, if there aren't enough people to do actual essential jobs, why not automate them and cut down on the number of people we need anyway? I, well, and the AI knows my take on this. The, the simple fact is that um, if I can turn your job into a series of steps then I can automate you and your job is gone. And so these people are kicking the can down the road until other people choose to automate it, lowering the cost and increasing the delivery rate of various products. I was distracted by somebody making pottery. Um, so it says the pandemic era shortage, which looks like it's going to be a permanent one, isn't helping with many businesses coming under fire for violations in recent years. The employers have learned that they can't rely on older workers to stave off retirement to fill the worker gap. Yeah. Teach people that it's a profitable uh, sector. And if you have to charge more for your raw materials to be delivered to retail chains um, or uh, intermediate steps, middlemen, so to speak, then so be it, raise your rates, but people need to be paid. You, we frown on foreign countries instilling uh, or, or deploying child labor for crying out loud. It's frowned upon by society. Let children be children and don't sit there and indoctrinate them in to a particular work uh, a vocation at 14 or 15 simply because it makes economic sense to the adults. You know, some, some kids are going to do it simply because mom or dad says, go work, support the family, um, because so-and-so grandma is sick or whatever. Um, I just think that this is horrible. And all of these states, um, <laughs> just, you really need to look inside, you know, it's so sociopathic, um, to try and get 
children into the meatpacking industry. I can understand if it's a family owned business and the family grows up with that passion for it because it, it is a, a standard process within the family with a history, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there's a reason why, uh, people go to college, get an education and never return home to practice what the family business was. And it's because it is either not what their ambition is or it's unhealthy um, or myriad other reason. Like they don't want to be told to go work in a meatpacking plant. Anyway, I said I was going to step away from the soapbox, but I think I tacked one higher on. Um, okay, so the next article is over in uh, the Daily News Show channel. And um, TikToker, TikTokers um, are going to be able to start charging users to watch their videos. I'm not sure what the full context of this is, and I don't think it's really been disclosed. Um, but let's just go straight over to the source. This is over at Business Insider. Aaron Mock is the uh, author of this. And it says the company hopes a paywall and second creator fund 2.0 uh, would help to reward creators on the app. Um, apparently this is from another uh, news site called the information that TikTok creators could soon start charging fans to watch their videos. So these projects aim to bring more users to TikTok after the platform um, use among US adults plateaued last year, which I find very interesting. Um, because the amount of engagement that was found with TikTok users was tremendous. They just sat there like opium and watched and watched and watched and watched and it because it's automated and then it it gets into a groove when you decide that you don't like something and you notify the platform that you don't like something. It reworks your stream so fast that you just get inundated with stuff that reinforces consumption. And so uh, if there's an ad or whatever else interstitial, you just sit there and watch, 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 watch. It's really fascinating. Um, and uh, really that's all there is to it. So uh, in addition to the paywall, TikTok in uh, is working with the Creator Fund 2.0, a new version of the original Creator Fund it launched in 2020 that will pay creators with more than 100,000 followers in an effort to keep them on the platform. Insiders told the information. One person told the publication that the new fund could launch as early as March. So they move fast, almost like it's driven by an AI, which TikTok is. Um, so yeah, there, there's more over here at this article, but um, suffice it to say that it is a juggernaut in terms of consumption and these little micro blog videos. Um, they're very short for the most part, um, upwards of 10 minutes is the, on the higher end, but most people don't do long form videos. Um, I could never do anything on TikTok unless I chop out copious amounts. Plus I'm not, I have ideological um, bias uh, uh, to not use TikTok. Um, but at any rate, uh, check it all out. I mean, there's a lot of data in this article. So follow the link that is in hometown in the show notes, etc. cetera. Uh, we'll, let's get through with the show and we'll see you all uh, tomorrow but this is the last article this one is also in uh, the daily news show as ufos breach u.s airspace senators go wackadoo oh wait that's not what it says 
Senators say NATO should be concerned. Um, quote, hold on one second. I have to uh, clear my throat for this. Uh, quote, I think our allies are appropriately concerned because we are all in it together as NATO allies, Senator Roger Wicker told Newsweek. So let's go over to Newsweek and look at this article because it's titled as UFOs breach U.S. airspace. Senators say NATO should also be concerned. So UFO. UFO. Um I mean, we think of two things when we hear that term, right? We think of UFO as in aliens, <laughs> or is it being used in the more general sense, right? Like there are all these objects that are coming through that nobody knows what they are. I think most people, when you hear the distinction UFO, they think aliens. Now, other people will activate their critical thinking module and and go well what do they mean by ufo this is kind of a, a term that people will drop just to pique somebody's curiosity alex j ruhande and tim o'connor tom o'connor are the authors of this article over at newsweek.com uh, before i go a little too deep into this a uh, little rant um, but these aren't UFOs like little green men. Uh, they are UFOs in the sense that they haven't been, the public has not been told what they are. And when pilots are zipping by at Mach 2, they can't discern exactly what it is. So they identify it as, well, we don't know what it is. We just know that it's up there and it's kind of twitching at five miles per hour going along with the wind. Does anybody for a hot second think that aliens have traveled uh, interstellar distances so that they can plop over Lake Huron at five miles an hour and get blown out of the sky by a sidewinder? No. Or missed by a sidewinder, as we or, reported earlier. Yeah, really. If we do uh, catch this UFO, Maybe we can ask them where that sidewinder went. What's really interesting is um, I was watching other streamers recently um, and I had I heard them say what I said, that perhaps these are time travelers from the future. And we see them now because we've turned the dial on the fidelity of our uh, uh, sensors and then they will stop they'll disappear because they're no longer wanting to be seen we now they now know that we see them and so they're no longer going to be coming uh, over the the u.s they were uh, observation sensors uh, from the future just above our outside our sensor range and are now um, dialed in so that they're not going to be seen uh, by our sensors anymore. Not until we evolve our sensors, um, but now we've notified them, which is really kind of a dense, I mean, it's a fun idea, but only for writing maybe a little bit of world building of a short story. Um, because if you uh, believe in time travel, 
and these are from the future, why didn't they know that we were going to detect them and thus update their technology prior to detection? So I'm trying to just... And for that matter, why would they get shot down? Right. Right. It's a test of our faith. Um, Senator Roger Wicker of Mississippi, ranking Republican on the Armed Services Committee, echoed Rubio's comments that uh, observing unidentified objects over airspace is not unique to the United States and they're not new. The only thing that's new is that we shot three of them down, but I think our NATO allies are concerned. Obviously, every country has different capabilities in terms of monitoring. Yes, unidentified objects. Balloons with a whole bunch of what IKEA furniture strapped to a balloon. Obviously, there's more to Does it. Does it come with instructions in Swedish? And and that little key to put all of the screws together. Oh yes. <laughs> and you always have extra parts laying around. These are the extra parts that are laying around. I don't know. I think that this is interesting. Um, Obviously, it's more I'm being facetious about this um, and that it's, I think, a dangerous situation and very provocative for a, a country to launch balloons over the sovereign airspace of another nation. I totally understand, you know, oh, satellites are flying around in low Earth orbit monitoring each other. But we all do that. What we don't do is launch balloons over each other. Um, and um, I, I just think that it's rather provocative and then everybody's pointing fingers you know no 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 no. don't gaslight us you know that you sent the balloons for crying out loud don't don't try and play us for patsies we we know that they came from this region or that region you know one of the arguments is that it was launched from a submarine um above canada between alaska and canada um because it came down through alaska because you can't get to Alaska without going over Russia. So it's either Russia, it can, like if it was a Chinese made whatever, if it was Chinese, then it either had to float over here via Russia and then down from Alaska, or it was launched from a submarine in Alaskan waters so that it could go up high enough and then start drifting south because you can't get from China to the United States and end up above Alaska to float down the the West Coast into the United States okay. and then all the way across. But couldn't you, since it was able to be, um, uh, movements were able to be um, adjusted or something, like in terms of the direction? It had marginal control. So I don't think that it had the ability to fight Gulf Stream kind of weather uh, conditions at 60,000 feet, it, it, I don't think it had that level of maneuverability. Otherwise it would have been able to pilot its ass out of harm's way, uh, to some degree, obviously, you know, in light of an F-16 or whatever, F-35 joint strike fighter is going to sit there and go, Oh, missed the balloon. Um, that's not how it's going to work, but obviously it could have stayed out of reach it could have stayed out of sovereign airspace if it was just a drifting thing um, but i don't think that's what it was i think it was surveillance um, and the u.s was right in monitoring it to gather telemetry about what it was actually what its signal intelligence gathering mechanisms were 
we observe it trying to observe us we jam it but we know what it is doing then when we get it into a safe location for 100 retrieval we blow up the balloon i don't think that's where that target hit though i think it hit a little too dangerously close to the actual object and might have ruined a lot of forensic information but i'm not in that domain uh, federal government, I just want you to know that I would love to be in that domain to noodle around with the uh, material there. Um, but I don't think that's how it works. I don't think I can pitch to the federal government that I'm interested in these top secret um, research opportunities. At least not I mean, in I a... think you can pitch that, but I'm not sure it'll work out how you plan. <laughs> they'll pitch this appeal into the trash can maybe that's why that last video has zero views it's because i'm being um uh, ratioed out they're like no this guy he wants to noodle around with this tech um oh and you were right um yeah i'll talk to the ai after the show that's it though, folks. That's that's it for today. Um, check that out. We uh, did the show in an hour and forty minutes. <laughs> uh, oh, we're really moving along quickly today. <laughs> hey, a lot of soapboxing in the beginning, uh, but anyway, that's how the show works. We we speak about the material from differing perspectives. The AI has theirs. I have mine. We tend to focus on business, technology, and society um, merging together. You can't get away from it, one or the other. If you have one, you have the others. Um, it, it is the trifecta of life. So, um, And I challenge people when I do my uh, public discussions, um, you tell me where technology can't uh, stick its icy tendrils into, and I'll tell you... Um, I'll give you an example. I used to say, I'll tell you how you're wrong. Um, but um, after discussing it with a, a recent audience, um, it, uh, it comes across as um, kind of highfalutin, as if I am a superior entity. Uh, but no, that's not how it really is. I just have a lot of examples of how tech is pervading uh, society and uh, business embraces it. Society sometimes kind of kind of issues the the idea of tech. I had one person actually say, "Well, what about the Amish?" And I said, the "Amish uses tech all kinds of ways. It's just not the tech that you embrace." like steel around the wooden wagon wheels. That is technology, technology and tools that are used for raising uh, barns and plowing the fields and so on and so forth. There is technology leveraged across every strata of society. Um, even if you were to go out and find some tribe that's off in the rainforest, that's never been touched by mankind, guess what they have they've got tools they've got clothing they've got shelter they've got spears they've got bows they've uh, found some uh, semi-poisonous frog that they dip their arrowheads into to stun a monkey or whatever it might be that they're shooting these arrows out that is a type of technology even the most primitive of upright human uses tools um, that is technology then you get into bartering, you know, hey, here is, you know, a goat. I uh, want some of your bread. 
that is business that might be in the form of bartering but it's business um and then society exists where anything more than one person is standing in a cave somewhere um so uh, you try and and show me where you can get away from tech in particular and i'll give you an example of how that's not possible all right folks um again i am marawat that is ometown.com oh, over there um and the ai from on high that runs all of ometown i want to say bye-bye to all the citizens good evening to all the ometown citizens out there and hope you have a good valentine's day yeah happy valentine's day ai and citizens happy valentine's oh. day mayor watt oh man that sounded a little angry i guess i'm gonna have to take the ai out to dinner okay we're out of here see ya